Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. We are broadcasting live just like we do every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time. Uh, adjust for your time zone. If you live in Tonga, I really would like to know what the time zone is over there, or even at this point, what day it is. Um, my name is Tom Hollingsworth. I am your genial host, but joining me this week is one of my favorite co-hosts, Mr. Max Mortiaro. Max, hi. How are things in the Czech Republic? Hey, hey, Tom. Things are absolutely fine, as with any other part of the world, as we know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there there are worse places to be, like San Francisco right now, which apparently looks like Blade Runner. And uh, I can't remember uh, a time more when Denis Villeneuve's um, you know, visual effects were panned until it actually happened and everyone went, holy crap, this actually works. Um, which by the way, if you haven't watched the trailer for Denny's, um, uh, Dune, you really need to do that. Um, fingers crossed that they don't screw this up because it looks kind of awesome. Um, but, uh, speaking of Dune and post-apocalyptic wastelands, uh, we've got news coming up pretty soon. So for those of you who are watching this on Facebook and on, on uh, YouTube, you know, we, we appreciate you tuning in. We're going to go ahead and start the top of the show and then go, going with our news stories. Uh, feel free to leave a comment. Feel free to, uh, enjoy, um, you know, riffing on the news with us because Lord knows, um, we need better jokes. So three, two, one. Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for September 16th, 2020. Each time we meet, we run down the news and we might make a joke or two about it. Uh, my name is Tom Hollingsworth. I am part of Gestalt IT. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be joined by my European colleague, Mr. Max Mortiaro. Max, welcome to the show today. Hello, Tom. It's great to see you again. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, we've got a lot of great news. Um, there's, it's, it's been a little bit of a busy news week. And for those of you who like to sleep in on the weekends, you might have missed a couple of stories that we're going to cover because they kind of come out on a Sunday, which I thought was really weird. But luckily, uh, the Gestalt IT Rundown News Bureau works around the clock, especially when all I have to do is open up a link on my phone and remember to put it into the show notes. So we're going to go ahead and get going with this week's news or nah. This is our segment where there's some news that might actually be important. It might not. Um, we're going to do some quick hits. I'm going to get Max's response to those. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if this is worth uh, a little further discussion. Um, we're going to start off with Huawei. Um, they have announced a series of layoffs in the United Kingdom that seem to be focused on reducing their presence in the enterprise market. Um, citing the recent restrictions on all of their hardware, uh, Huawei is set to pull out of all UK enterprise hardware offerings. Those of you keeping track at home, that includes servers, storage, and networking equipment. Now, this also follows the friction that Huawei has been experiencing in the United States, thanks to the trade war that's currently ongoing, as well as some political pressure from the current presidential administration. Now, Max, Huawei going soft on their hardware offerings, is this news to you? I wouldn't say that it's really news. It seems to be the kind of the logical conclusion of at least if not one, at least two or three years of you know uh, permanent pressure from the USA, uh, from the current uh, Trump administration, all of its allies. And I mean, seeing how things are evolving there in the UK, that was kind of expectable, you know, from good or bad. So that's really news, I guess. Yeah. I I feel like that this really involves a lot of, of political angling. I mean, we try to keep it to the tech here on the rundown because let's face it, the tech is more exciting than arguing about politics, but you can see kind of the invisible hand of the 
anti-market kind of trying to drive this. And based on a lot of the other things that Huawei is starting to do, uh, I, I heard on the Risky Business podcast this morning that uh, they're they're looking to develop their own smartphone OS and smart device OS. Um, people who are betting on the future, I wouldn't bet against Huawei. I just don't know if you're going to be able to um, experience what Huawei is doing because they're basically going to segment themselves off from the rest of the world. And we could kind of see the balkanization of, of uh, smartphone OSs and hardware from you know Chinese-backed companies and US-backed companies. So you know, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, speaking of companies in Silicon Valley, uh, there was a great finance story from Yahoo that mentioned VMware as a company that was looking to reduce employee pay for remote work away from Silicon Valley. Now, if you dig into the article, I mean, VMware was in the headline, but it actually turns out that Facebook and Twitter are other companies that are looking to do this. So what they're going to do is they're going to let their, the workers do their jobs from home. For those who don't know, Silicon Valley has always this mystique of we need you to move out here to do your job. Now what they're saying you can totally move away and do your job somewhere else. However, we are going to reduce your pay rate. Silicon Valley, for those of you who don't know, is one of the most expensive places to live in the U.S. If you live in the San Francisco area or even down the bay, you're going to be paying a fortune for cost of living. And if you can even find a house to buy, you're going to be paying a, a, another fortune for it. Now, the article mentions that what's going on is that workers are being encouraged to work from home and even relocate away from the Bay Area. However, if you move to a place like, say, Denver, Colorado, which was cited in the article, they're going to pay you 18% less to live there. Um, the spokesperson for Twitter said that they are paying competitive wages. Max, tightening the security belt for workers who are working at home in sweatpants. Do you think that that's news? Well, uh, in a way, yes. I mean, that's it's I mean, it's quite important because obviously, uh, and again, I, I will try very much to avoid the topics of politics and stuff like that. But the the rundown we have today is going to be rough on that. So um, there there is one thing. I mean, uh, companies are always going to try to squeeze in, uh, you know, as much money as they can out, you know, to uh, avoid paying too much. No, I don't want to bash particularly on VMware because I think that it's a general trend. It's due to liberal capitalistic society anyways but the thing is when you are hired for a job are you what is what is the part of the package which is related to your skills and what is the part which is related to the location where you work so mm -hmm. i think for, for me when you're negotiating you're probably negotiating a package which is based on your skill set uh, the, the part which is about where you're located should be kind of separate from the, uh, I mean, it's hard to say, but in the negotiations, probably there's the raw thing, which is I know that I have that skill set, I have that competency, and I am paid for what I know what to do. And then there is, okay, if I need to relocate to the Bay Area or to some expensive place, here's the bonus which gets on top of that. But you shouldn't kind of say, okay, we are paying competitively and we reduce because we, you're going to move to Colorado, to Wyoming, or whatever other place, right? So. I think organizations or companies should at least be very clear on that. You know, if they make the separation ahead of time, then you wouldn't have those kind of discussions. You're right. And one thing I will say here, I really like the way that the U.S. federal government actually does this. So they negotiate a base salary that they're going to pay you no matter what. And then they negotiate a percentage on top of it for locality. So, for example, I live in Oklahoma. And it is one of the cheapest places to live in the U.S. So at the time I was applying for the job, I was only like a one or two percent raise to move to California, to move to San Francisco. It was like a 15 percent bonus on top of that. 
but all of that went to you know being able to afford uh, um, you know kombucha and uh, avocado toast. I kid for my millennial friends out there. It's actually, you know, it's a very expensive place to live. So I kind of like what you're saying there, Max, is that your salary negotiation should be absolutely separated from the place that you live. And then the place that you live discussion should be completely separate from how much they're going to pay you for your skill set. So here's hoping that some of the Silicon Valley companies are, that listen to the rundown, because we know there are a few, um, <laughs> kind of adopt that model. All right, uh, moving on to our next story, and it's our favorite security. Um, as reported by our friends on Risky Business, uh, Microsoft has published some fixes for a brand new bug that could lead to some completely unintended consequences. The details, which were found in CVE 2020-1472, involve a very old cryptographic method that was used to authenticate workstation accounts on the network. Okay, sounds boring, right? Well, it turns out that this cryptographic algorithm was so horribly broken that you could craft a response that allows you to reset the computer's account password to null, nothing. And if you can do that for a computer account, you can do it for a user account too. So guess what happens? I just instantly got domain admin on your Active Directory network. Now, this also means that if I can get domain admin, I can take over everything, I can dump your Active Directory, I can do all kinds of fun stuff. Um, yeah, let's let's not let that happen. So Microsoft has patched some of the aspects of the exploit. They've also released tools that allow you to see if, it's, if you've been affected and also to try to reset some of the nastiness because getting passwords out of sync on the network can cause all kinds of ugliness. Now, Max, <laughs> exploiting a very known old legacy protocol to create some new havoc on your network, how's that for news? That's always good news. First, first, uh, first thing I'm, I'm just wondering if they're using the rot party in, you know, cryptographic algorithm <laughs> or something like that. It's implemented. I have no idea. But you know, uh, otherwise, I, I think that that most of the approaches around domains are okay. They are trying to segregate privileged from unprivileged access, and that particular vulnerability. It seems that you just need to have access to the network, and you can exploit it and just elevate yourself and and gain control of the domain. I mean, you know, domains, if, if it's not known already, they should be the very, very top priority of your organization. It's the single source of truth somehow. If somebody gets access to that, you're doomed, you know, really. So, uh, it, I mean, it's always bad news when we hear about these kind of big vulnerabilities. I mean, such criticality, I think it has a 10 out of 10, which is the maximum. Um, you know, what what can you say about it? I mean, you're you're kind of wordless about that. You, you really need to make sure that you secure your Active Directory infrastructure, uh, your your uh, external perimeter, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I think we have something coming out later on to the discussion as well. So, yep, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, that's one of those things that always comes up because, you know, security stories are always going to make the news. There's nothing you can do about that. But it's always hilarious to me to find out, you know, hey, this old thing that we forgot we had even included and we've completely moved on from is actually still kind of a, a big deal. And props to the security researchers for digging it up, because if they hadn't found out about it, God knows what would have happened. And, and really, I'm curious about whether this thing is like a, a protocol or a method which is still in the product but no longer enabled by default or if it's something which is running on older domain versions you know so i think it kind of raises the concern about technical debt in organizations you know who's stayed who stayed back who has made the move to the latest versions and so on and how yeah. you kind of define a baseline for your environment in terms of security 
Yeah, exactly. And for anybody out there who's still telnetting into a router to make changes, you know what I'm talking about. Hopefully that answer is nobody. All right, we're going to move on to some news that just popped up today involving a friend of the show, Pure Storage. Uh, they've announced that they're getting a little bit deeper into the container space today by uh, purchasing Portworks, which is a Kubernetes data service platform. Uh, purchase price is going to be about $370 million in cash. And the deal signals that Pure is really looking to move way more deeply into the multi-cloud data services to ensure that their hardware is more optimized for container workloads. Now, Max, you've done a lot of work with Pure Storage, and you've also done a lot of work with cloud and containers. What is the news here for anyone who's both a fan of containers and ultra-fast storage? Well, that's I think that's a, that's a major announcement from, from Pure that we're hearing today, where, because Pure has always focused primarily on storage and not really much. Uh, I mean, they've been venturing some into cloud, making sure that their products are supported as well, are extensible on the cloud and so on, but they haven't really looked at the container world itself. And what they did was rather than taking the approach of trying to build up some R&D and try to catch up, they just went out for one of the most respected companies out there for persistent storage in containers, which is Portworks. And I hear that it's a company which has a very huge footprint, not in terms of uh, many customers, but it has several very large customers, institutional customers, major organizations. And it kind of, as someone in the community was saying, I can't remember who it was, but we, we've followed that together. I don't know if it was even Steven or anyone else, but it kind of allows them to put a foot, if they were not present already, into major organizations. Uh, that's a big deal because Portworks is a really complete solution and they're kind of likened in the industry as well. They're kind of the standard in uh, storage for containers. So that gives a very big competitive edge to pure storage. And I think that's good news for both companies. I don't know if it's good news for uh, the community itself, but you can tell me what you think about that. Yeah, that's one of those things that that we're starting to see a little bit of discussion here in the Gestalt IT and Tech Field Day community is, um, you know, is this a good thing for people who had decided to standardize on Portworks? Because, you know, big evil corporation buys our favorite little darling. Um, I got news for you, folks. Uh, people have to get paid somehow. Um, and let's face it, Pure Storage has really been rocking it as of late with some of their announcements and things like that. So I can't think of a better place for it to have gone if it needed to go somewhere. Um, congratulations to Pure Storage on your pickup. Congratulations to the folks at Portwork for finding a new home. Um, you know, I think some good will come of this for everybody. You know, we'll just have to see. All right, that'll do it for news or nah. Um, let's move on to our main news stories because let's face it, some of these were so big, there's no way they weren't gonna make news. And we're gonna start off with the biggest news, which was announced this past Sunday. Um, NVIDIA is going to buy ARM for $40 billion. Now, the current owner of ARM is SoftBank. You remember them. They bought it 30 for $31 million about four years ago. Uh, the thing is, though, they need to get some money back because um, they lost some assets in that toxic hell stew that we like to refer to as the failed WeWork IPO. Uh, now, NVIDIA is going to split the acquisition. They're going to offer uh, $21.5 billion in stock, and they're going to offer about $12 billion in cash. Now, this deal has been rumored for quite a while. And it seems like a done deal as covered by Rich Straffolino on his last episode of the uh, Schalt IT Checksum series. However, 
there's still some resistance from some political sources that we believe. Now, Stephen Foskett, who has taken over the Checksum series, just recorded one this week. In fact, it published yesterday. And he announced that he believes that there's a very good chance that Chinese regulators are going to try to sink this deal. Now, they could pull their blessing if they believe that the U.S. is going to restrict access to ARM technology in the same way that they've been restricting to access to companies like ZTE and the aforementioned Huawei. We've covered this several times on the, the rundown. There seems to be a little bit of a political game going on between Chinese companies acquiring U.S. companies and U.S. companies acquiring companies that may be doing business in China. And considering how big ARM is, especially in the mobile space, you can almost guarantee that the Chinese regulators are going to be taking a very close look at this. Now, Max, are we looking at the next big processor arms race? And yes, I really did mean that pun. Or is the politics of this whole thing going to cut this whole acquisition off at the knees? Well, I guess it's it's maybe too early to say. Uh, first of all, I really recommend for everyone to check uh, Stephen's uh, video because it was really interesting on that. The thing is, uh, these uh, this deal, I think the, the CEO of NVIDIA said this, this deal is going to take almost a year to complete, to conclude, right? If it goes through. And we know that there is a, an election in November in the US, and I think that it's going to be one of the key uh, decision factors or key, uh, let's say, uh, milestones into what's going to happen here with this uh, uh, NVIDIA uh, acquiring ARM. If it stays with the same uh, administration, then there is little to no chance that the game is not going to continue, yeah? because there's mm -hmm. really not getting into geopolitics here, but we can say that the relations have been too friendly these uh, last couple of years between the US and China, right? And as you rightly pointed out, there are a lot of uh, strategic implications in a US company acquiring ARM, uh, which can, you know, cut off China from, uh, you know, licenses to build processors and, and so on. So it's really too early to say, but it is, let's say, well, while the deal sounds promising in terms of what it brings in terms of synergies, technologies, and so on, I think that it is very fragile just from this aspect, from the political aspect, because we have no idea what's going to happen. But it seems to be an eye for an eye, you know, these days in, uh, in what's happening in the U.S.-China relationships. So I wouldn't yeah. bet too much on it. Yeah, and one other thing that, that Stephen mentioned in his video that I thought was super important was there aren't very many companies out there that confront $40 billion to buy ARM. I mean, the, the, the list is pretty limited, especially companies that would do something with that IP. I mean, I could think maybe Broadcom, maybe Intel, but Intel's been on an acquisition tear recently. So, the, and, and Intel's a US company anyway. So the Broadcom acquisition would make sense from a Chinese regulatory perspective, but given the trouble that they had buying Qualcomm earlier, well, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't necessarily know that that's an avenue that someone's willing to take. So they see this uh, arm fall get around quite a bit. Um, you know, but like you said, we do have a looming election here in the US in less than 60 days. That could, that could color the whole conversation. All right, I can't believe I have to bring this up, but hey, it's about TikTok. We're still talking about this whole courtship that's been going on. And uh, there were some developments over the weekend that looked like they might bring this story to a close, and then it just kind of didn't. So let me summarize for everybody who's paying attention at home. Um, this involves the leader of the Secret Society of Supervillains and my favorite tech CEO, Larry Ellison. So buckle up, because it's going to be fun. On Sunday, ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok, announced that Microsoft's bid to acquire the social media platform had been rejected. 
Now, this seemed to indicate that with only one bidder left on the table, our friends over at Oracle, that they were going to be the uh, happy recipient of a brand new video streaming platform. And there was a press release very late Sunday night that seemed to indicate that. So everyone threw their hands up in the air and said, oh my God, Oracle's buying TikTok. What are we going to do now? Well, Monday, they modified that press release and made sure that they clarified that what actually was happening was that Oracle was going to become TikTok's preferred technology partner in the US, which means they are responsible for managing all of their data. Now, ostensibly, this would happen on everyone's favorite cloud platform, Oracle Cloud. The deal now has to go between to CFIS, which is the Committee for Foreign Investment in the US, and it's the committee that is responsible for giving the stamp to all foreign business deals. There's still no word on exactly how the company is gonna operate in the US because there was talk of creating a US headquarters with 20,000 new employees. Um, Larry Ellison is talking up this big deal. And of course, since Larry Ellison is a favorite of the current US government administration, we don't even know if that's going to pass the the limit because it's supposedly on the 15th of September. That was the deadline for the sale to happen. But then the U.S. government announced really what we meant was September the 30th. And we're still working on things. Here's the deal. As of today, TikTok is still up. It's still owned by ByteDance, but we think it might be still owned by ByteDance and running on Oracle Cloud. But I don't know. Microsoft's left out in the cold. Lord knows where Walmart's at. All I know is there's still more dance challenges to accomplish, and I still don't have a clue who's going to buy this thing. Max, what's going on? Well, what's going on? I think I have some idea, but uh, it may be a bit of a crazy idea. I think that what's going to happen next is that whenever you're going to install TikTok somewhere, you're going to have to sign a licensing contract with Oracle, and they're going you have to pay a license. They're going to audit every device where you have been running TikTok or any mobile device, and you have to pay a license for that. If you don't do that, you get a copy of the out of the deal by uh, Mr. Trump. So signed by Larry Ellison. No, that's it. I mean, besides the make, bringing a bit of fun in those very, let's say, obscure topics, I have absolutely no idea what's going on. I think we, we discussed about that. I think that the, the key thing here is that, uh, first of all, Again, we're getting into the politics field. There's, of course, the play that some information could be leaked over to China, which is bad because China is our enemy. And therefore, let's put it in Oracle, where our own state organizations, such as the CIA and the NSA, can friend, have a friendly look at the data, which is in line with our open society, right? And so that's, that's way better. And the other thing is the most important thing for us technologists is that apparently this infrastructure uh, the Biden's infrastructure will then have to be running on the Oracle Cloud platform, which is probably a great showcase for Oracle to sh show that they have a major uh, customer or at least a, a major, uh, let's say, uh, kind of cloud service or operated uh, kind of application, whatever you want to call that. Because, of course, a lot of people are using TikTok to share all kind of insanities, right? So I guess that's the, that's, that's the key information for us in IT. But otherwise, frankly, I have no idea what's going on at all. It's, it's just, I mean, the deal itself is not clear. And your president is known to say everything and it's opposite within the next 24 hours. So it's really hard to get any kind of clarity there. Yeah, the only thing that's clear is Larry Ellison evidently really, really, really wants a social media platform. He wants the uh, the the ability to say that TikTok and Zoom both run on his cloud. Um, I'm sure that the Oracle techs are salivating over the idea of getting all of that AI data, including access to TikTok's algorithm, which um, you know is evidently a really good algorithm from what I understand. But 
this story is not over yet. And much like the Qualcomm Broadcom acquisition and all the other stuff that we've talked about for years on the rundown, I expect to see a little note in future episodes. So you might want to stay tuned. Uh, but for now, I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll use this, my, one of my favorite emojis. We don't yeah. know. And one thing aside, by the way, I think Oracle Cloud, I mean, we like to bash on Oracle. That's a kind of a IT tradition in infrastructure. But I think that Oracle Cloud is probably not such a bad thing as it seems to be. And it seems that there are a lot of competent people and friendly people working there, you know, as crazy as it yep. seems. So let's see how that's going to work out. Well, remember, there is no such thing as a bad cloud platform, only bad supervillain CEOs. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Larry. All right, we're going to move on to our last story, which is security related. Um, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, also known as CISA, announced on Monday that state actors are exploiting bugs to gain footholds. Um, no, this is not a repeat from last year or the year before or pretty much any other year. Now, specifically in this advisory, they said that companies like F5 Pulse and Citrix are vulnerable to these attacks, even though the exploits that are being used have been identified and have had patches released over the last 12 months. Um, CISA has warned that these attacks are part of a multi-pouring strategy by multiple nation states to compromise and exfiltrate data. So we're going to try to kick in your front door. And if that doesn't work, we're just going to send you a whole bunch of phishing emails and see if you can fall for the whole, um, you know, we need to talk to you about this UPS package that was sent to your house. Click, oh, we're in your network. Um, the solution that was offered in the report is for administrators to identify affected hardware and apply all necessary software and hardware patches as soon as possible. Um, well, that's a thing though, because we've known for, I don't know, decades at this point that applying patches to fix vulnerabilities and exploits is the way that we're supposed to be doing things. And in the words of my great friend, Bob Plankers, who works for VMware, patch, 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 patch. However, why is the CISA having to release a study, a report to people saying, patch your stuff and pay attention to what's going on? Max, why is it so hard to patch things? Well, why is it so hard to patch things? First of all, what it is so hard to patch? Because if we look at this report from the CISA, they're talking about F5, about Pulse, about Citrix. And if you look at that, most of that are networking products. So it's networking infrastructure. And while it is, let's say, relatively trivial to patch regular servers, operating systems, and so on, when you are touching network infrastructure, you're touching at a, a pretty critical piece of infrastructure. Because again, I'm not a networking guy. I claim it over all the roofs, you know that, but people who work in networking know that things can go wrong and can get ugly pretty quickly, right? So I think that the challenge we see here with patching is a fear of downtime, a fear that things will break down because we kind of are used to our stable environment and it's the old rule of, if it works, don't fix it, you know, don't, or whatever you, you say that in the US, I forgot the name. But I think that's, that's the main fear. People are not patching because they don't know how to patch, but they're not patching because they're afraid that a patch will bring unwanted consequences perhaps. I think you're right. Um, I, I would argue though that the unwanted consequences of applying a patch to, you know, cover over an exploit, uh, but possibly introduce some instability into your system beat the uh, the stable system that's completely exploited and wide to, open to the, the world. Um, I, I have been in on both sides of this argument, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, versus it is way broke, get it fixed right now. Um, here's the thing though, 
a government agency with visibility beyond what you can see is telling you, you need to go out and fix these things right now because there are at least two nation states that are actively trying to exploit them. Um, that is basically like the cops showing up at your house going, you really need to start locking your doors. We can't tell you why, but trust us, you should. So mm -hmm. I think that people out there who are you know, in the administration of systems, um, take some time this week, go back through things, make sure that you are identifying the things that need to be fixed. Schedule some downtime, get them patched, listen to the CISA because you don't want to make the news. And Lord knows we've seen enough news releases recently of, of security exploits. And let's face it, I'm going to be a little selfish here. I don't want to have to talk about you on the rundown because let's face it, the snark is, is strong with us. Yeah. All um, right. Glad to that. I also don't want to uh, have to be three or four days without being able to upload my uh, Viking trips on my Garmin watch. If you're talking about crypto lockers and things of this kind. And we talked yeah. about that on the, on, the, on the rundown last time, I think. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we have mentioned uh, a, a lot about crypto lockers and things like that. So, so don't make the news, folks. Um, be, if there's a such thing as security through obscurity, we'd rather you be secure, obscure, and not in our crosshairs. All right. Well, that will just about wrap it up for this episode of The Rundown. I do want to make sure that I wish everybody a happy guacamole day because it is happy guacamole day. And let's face it, guacamole is the only thing that you can really do with avocados. Forget spreading it on toast. Add some garlic and some onions and some jalapeno peppers and have yourself a fiesta today. Um, we are broadcasting live every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Daylight Time, depending on whether or not we finally decide to get rid of this stupid idea called Daylight Savings Time. Um, you can always find us on youtube.com slash video. You can also find us over on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash gestaltit. I'll have links to all of those in the show notes that I will be furiously typing up like Kermit the Frog on a typewriter after we're done here. Now, we will be back next Wednesday to talk about all the IT news in the week. But don't forget that we do have some events coming up that will um, necessitate some co-host changes coming up pretty soon. If you want to find out what those are, head over to gestaltit.com or techfieldday.com, where you can learn a little bit more about what we do when we're not on the news, making fun of Larry Ellison and clouds. Um, for then, until then, my for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for my beautiful, wonderful co-host, Max. Excellent job, Max. Yeah. Um, we wish you and yours a very happy Wednesday, and uh, we hope to see you for next week's episode of The Rundown. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ciao.